Good morning, church. My name is Brett. I am pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially those who are new to us. If you happen to call this your first time with us, or maybe you've been with us for a little bit, yet have not decided whether we are your permanent home, we sure are glad that you decided to make us your home for an hour today. Welcome. Well, we've got a real treat. As you know, it's our 35th anniversary. And, uh, yeah, it's our 35th anniversary. Yeah. I know, I know it can be a little redundant when anybody who has the mic that's new up here says it over and over again. But remember, you only get one 35th. And so I don't know that you can really celebrate it too often. So, so happy birthday. See, see, you do it again. It makes you feel good when you do it again. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, all right, well, I enjoyed it. You may not have, but I enjoyed it. This Sunday, uh, we have uh, a blast from the past. Um, last week, Stephen, Stephen Law, Pastor Stephen Law, ministered the, the word, and that was indicative of our future. Well, we got a bright future. It's not dependent upon how Brett grows into something that he's not yet so that we can be bigger. Even though I think, I think I'm getting better because I'm loving Jesus more, I'm still growing in him, and so my ability to articulate and lead is also increasing because I'm basing that which is dependent upon uh, my, my, I'm basing that which is dependent upon my good character to be that which helps lead you, not just my competencies. I'm not trying to just be better, I'm, do better, I'm trying to be better. And so the more I am better in my soul, in my character, the better I'm going to be in my performance. And as I continue to grow into the image of Christ, which may not be as quick as anyone would like, namely my wife, but I am growing, then the better I become at serving you. So I'm going to get better. But it doesn't matter how good I get if I'm a cap to the second generation. If I'm the ceiling to them, then I'm missing out on the whole purpose of what discipleship means. And so Stephen represented the next generation. He did a fabulous job last week. Fabulous job. And in a minute, maybe longer than a minute, we're going to be handing over the reins of this congregation to a second generation who can take it to where they need to take it. It doesn't mean that I'm going anyplace. I'm just going to be grandpa rather than dad. And God will do even more, differently, even more with them. Now, this week we're talking about what has happened in the past. The founding pastor of this church is here with us today. He and his beautiful wife, Debbie, along with Abigail, his daughter, and three other kids, represent the family that helped to start this house. Now, I came to participate with them. I was a campus minister at Howard University, but I was only 21 years old. I didn't know what I was doing. I had no clue. I had only been right with God 16 to 18 months. I got right with God in March of 81. I was here by August of 82. Whoever thought that was a good idea... I don't know upon what they were basing their decision. How do you send somebody? I hadn't been to seminary. I'd barely done the, the requirements to even be a good member of my church. And, and they thought, well, he's got potential. Let's, let's, like, like the dog that you wonder if can swim, let's just throw him in the pool and find out. <laughs> and that was Brett. But Mark and Debbie were here with their two children at the time. And we all arrived in August of 2000, or 1982. And there were 11, 11 of us. Um, 
they had two children, and uh, we met at 139 C Street, which is a house there right on Capitol Hill. And that was our gathering place. Those were our church offices. That's where I lived. I lived in the basement of the home. And Mark and Debbie were my pastors. And they stayed so until 1991. And he basically taught me everything I know. Uh, why we worship the way we worship. Why we have a moment during uh, a time when we take an offering. We clap and holler and scream and get happy. Because the Bible says God loves a hilarious giver. And so we intentionally militate against selfishness by making our souls do things that normally they would not do when we have to part with our money. We get happy about giving. Where did I learn that from? From him. I run staff meetings. I run all of my leadership meetings. I run this because I learned it from him. I learned how to pray from him. I learned how to fast from him. There are very few things that I cannot attribute leadership and development and growth to that go beyond him. Very few. Um, he sacrificed a lot to come here. He was pastor of a church in Columbia, South Carolina. He gave it up in order to establish something here that did not exist. He and Debbie had a pretty good, pretty good congregation down there, and the Lord spoke to him to come here. He served in pastoral ministry since 1977, and during that time, he has served as a founding pastor of five new church plants. Five. He's done that five times. He last served in that role with the, be with the beginning of Winding Creek Community Church in Stafford, Virginia, where he currently serves as pastor. He married Debbie in 1977, but before they met, she served as a missionary to Israel and a missionary on a college campus. She's been a partner in their ministry endeavors since. Mark is a songwriter, musician, and worship leader, and he and Debbie, Debbie have four children, adult children, and three grandchildren. He's my friend. He was the second pastor in my life. I got born again at Indiana University where I had another pastor who was just three years older than me. And so... Um, I, 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 I don't, I, I, let me say, he was my first pastor, um, and he taught me how to do family. We homeschooled our children. We. My wife homeschooled our children. Yeah. I, I, I was the principal, but, but she, she, she was the teacher. Where did I learn that from? Where did we even have the thought that that might be a good idea for Mark and Debbie? And because of it, our, our, our children are all right. They're all right. Is that the only way to raise them right? No, it was the way we should. And God did an amazing thing through the process. So I'm grateful he's here. And I want you to show how grateful you are by standing and giving him a very warm Grace Covenant Church welcome. Mark Cox. Thank you so much, man. Wonderful. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I want uh, Debbie and Abby to stand and turn around and let everybody see them because I'm quite proud of them. Um, Abby was born in 1988, and we left, I think, was 1990. One, 1991, and um, we came back for the 15th anniversary, and Abby was about, how old at that time? Nine, and uh, she, what, you want to stand up here next to me, sweetheart? 
Uh, Debbie's actually a ventriloquist. Brett told me you'd be more alive than the morning service. I love the morning service, by the way, but you all definitely are happier. Um, you've had more coffee. Uh, but um, anyway, uh, what was I saying? Abby was saying, we went back for the 15th anniversary, and Abby said, I can't believe we know all these people. And because she had no recollection, we'd, we'd left when she was so young. I can't tell you how happy I am to be here can't tell you how happy I am when I'm with you people and when I'm with Brett Fuller. Um, I was thinking of a little slogan that was coming to me <laughs> during the first service I was sitting there, and it's, it's this, and I don't know how I'll use it, but I might. I'll figure out a way. It's, I'm better with Brett. <laughs> and maybe y'all can use that at some point. Uh, amen? It's like Coca-Cola. You know, things go better with Brett, and uh, that's with two T's. Uh, it's true. Um, I love the guy, and I love Grace Covenant Church. Um, you're, you're, you're some of my favorite people in the world, and uh, I actually first came here after many years, um, about four years ago, and I've been back a couple times since. And I haven't got to meet a lot of you, but you're absolutely wonderful people. This is amazing what you got going here, really. And uh, when I was on Capitol Hill and we did this, I just took it all for granted, you know. And uh, I went to a staff meeting of Brett's a few years ago. I said, could I come to a staff meeting? And Brett said, it's time to pray. And he started walking around clapping his hands and praying really loud. And the staff was perking up and praying. And I'm sitting over there and I'm thinking... I remember this. I can remember our 6 a.m. prayer meetings we had for a while. I was driving our poor staff crazy. And we were having 6 a.m. prayer meetings because, you know, before the day started, and poor Brett would be sitting there just out, you know, just like, you know, that spiritual stance that you take when you're, you really only was sitting down, where you're really sleeping, you know. And Eric was just staring at me, unblinking, Eric Holmberg. And I would, I would say, get up, <laughs> get up, walk around. We'd start clapping and yelling because that was really the only way we could stay awake. But we would do that. <laughs> we would do that. If I did that in my church now, I don't know what they would do to me. But um, I really need this. And so I'm better. I'm so much better with Brett. And that's my motto for the, for the day. Uh, uh, I want to say thanks to the staff, the elders, everybody who, the blessing, the support that you all have shown us. Literally, uh, many of you don't know this, but when, you, when you're hosted by this church, you're just spoiled, rotten. I mean, it's just ridiculous, and uh, it's wonderful. And I love it a lot. And I think every... <laughs> Can I come and live here? <laughs> I want to come home, Brett. <laughs> E.T., go home. Uh, here I am. All right. I, 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 tried, I tried to preach a perfect sermon in the first service. I'm going to be myself this time, so we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. I, there's a rumor you're having an anniversary. I think it's your uh, what? 35th. That's right. Well, a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago in August, 35 years ago, 
I was driving a rented rider truck, the largest one they had, and practically everything we owned was in the back. And I was in the front seat, and seated next to me was our oldest daughter, Rachel Elizabeth, who was at that time four years old. We were driving from Columbia, South Carolina to D.C. I had signed the lease on two properties uh, to the tune of about $3,000 a month. And I had done that about four or five weeks before that. I remember driving home. We stayed at a hotel that first night after signing the lease on those two things. And I went to bed that night. And I, you know how you first get in bed, you have to face reality or whatever. And I I laid down. And we also had to pay for alarm systems because you had to have alarms. I laid down and I said to myself, or a voice said to me, you are an absolute idiot. You have a nice church. Things are going well. What did you just do? Well, we had support, though. We had support. We had, uh, Debbie and I were going to be supported fully for September. (laughs) And, which was unheard of in this group we were in because we did things sparingly. And then the next month, October, would be half support. Uh, November was a third. And then December, we'll be praying for you. (laughs) God be with you. Because we're not going to be with you. I like that. The Lord be with you because I'm out of here. See ya. Hope it goes well. So anyway, 35, I was driving that truck. You drive into the city, you see a city of monuments and memorials. An anniversary is a repeating monument or memorial. That's all it is. An anniversary is a a day in the year that we take to remember something that's important. And and, uh, by the way, my little daughter... uh, she could speak pretty well for a four-year-old, and she, um, a few days into our experience in Washington, D.C., she said, you know, tiny little thing, you know, Washington, D.C. has lots of possibilities. <laughs> we looked at her. She must have heard us say something like that, you know. But look at, the, look at this room. I'm blown away. I'm absolutely blown away. To have a small part of this is just amazing to me. But since we're talking about anniversaries, I've titled my message, God's Eternal Memorial. We're going to read from Joshua chapter 4. When the nation, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight, this, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we worship you. We magnify you today for what you have been doing for the last 35 years in this congregation. We give you praise and thanks. Lord, not by might, not by power, but by your spirit have these things occurred. Thank you for the extraordinary team that you brought together together back in 1982. Brett and Eric and Kiki and all the others who were there, wonderful, amazing people who were willing to, to follow the Lamb where he went. And, it, and what we lacked in training and preparation, 
uh, they all made up for in heart. And I give you praise and thanks for that, that I was able to be a part of that. I pray that you'd bless everybody in this room this morning. Dear Holy Spirit, come. If there's anyone here who, d- who does not know you yet, we thank you. We trust that they will not leave this building without encountering your salvation. Be with me, Lord. Help me, I pray, because without you, I am nothing. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Remember, Israel had been in the wilderness 40 years. Uh, the, the, for, the generation that came out of Egypt had failed miserably. They had rebelled against God. Ten times, and God said, I'm going to raise up your children, and they'll go into the promised land because you refuse to be trained and prepared. And so they come to the Jordan River. You remember they left Egypt. They had to go through the Red Sea. Well, when they're going uh, into the promised land, the land of promise, they had to go through the Jordan. And it was at flood stage at this time. And, you know, we've been seeing on television a lot about running water, haven't we? About, you know, moving water in large bodies and how dangerous it is. And so God did a miracle and upstream he held the water back so that when the priests carried the ark, which represented the presence of God, they could cross over. And God told them to build a memorial from stones that they took out of the relatively dry river and to form that so that that would be a memorial where they would remember I want to talk to you about three kinds of memorials, uh, biblical memorials, which we just heard described, personal memorials, and then also God's eternal memorial. Let's look at some biblical memorials. Uh, we just saw the one built by Joshua. Um, when God appeared to Abram coming out of uh, Mesopotamia, he built an altar right in the very place where God appeared to him and spoke to him and confirmed his call on his life. And uh, so it was an altar on which he could worship, but it was also a memorial. Jacob was fleeing from his brother. Uh, Jacob is an interesting character, and he gives hope to all of us, doesn't he? Uh, I know the Bible's not a myth, because in mythology, you you, you paint wonderful pictures of your gods and of your people and of your history. Uh, Jacob is a glaring, fault-filled person. Uh, He reminds me a lot of um, us. And uh, we call it networking. But anyway, he was, uh, he was a manipulator and a swindler. And he'd conned his brother out of his birthright and his blessing. And his brother, who wasn't a deep thinker, thought, um, I think I'll kill him. And um, yeah, I think I'll kill him. And, and you've got to be careful. Some people do that, you know. You've got to watch. You know, road rage, you yell at somebody. That's not smart. They could kill you. It's like... That guy is a killer. I shouldn't have yelled at him. Well, that may be the last thing you say. So don't do that. That's a public service announcement. When you're driving home today. Have a good day, sir. Could be a killer. Uh, So the next uh, God appears to Jacob on the way fleeing from his brother. He's fleeing to go live with Laban which is a story, but he goes to bed. He lays his head on a rock. The Bible doesn't say anymore. It just said he's with his head on a rock. This guy had gone from a rich man's home. He's sleeping on a rock, and God appears to him. Don't try this when you get home. It probably won't work. You know, God probably won't appear to you just because your head's on a rock. He wakes up the next day. God is in this place. He renames the place Bethel, the house of God. 
He takes that stone and he makes it into a memorial and he pours oil on it so that whenever he would come there, he would see that and remember that God had appeared to him and spoken to him. The Passover meal, where the last plague of Egypt was the death of the firstborn. Any firstborn uh, son or firstborn male animal within a household that did not take God's command seriously to put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts would lose that son or that livestock. And um, don't have, there's sermons for every one of these, and, and as a preacher of many years, I've got to resist talking about them, but that's a perpetual repeating memorial. Every year they would celebrate the Passover, and they would remember how God had taken them out of slavery in Egypt and made them a free people and had made them God's own people. That's a pretty important thing to remember, isn't it? Uh, The Lord's Supper uh, replaced uh, the Passover meal. And remember, our Lord said, as often as you do this, do it. Why? In remembrance of me. It's it's a a way that we can remember. And uh, Paul wrote that you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Uh, There's a danger in forgetting. God warned through Moses, Israel, many times to not forget. uh, Deuteronomy 4, take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things your eyes have seen. Um, Deuteronomy uh, 4.23, take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 5.12, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Um, Israel's forgetfulness, they were forgetful. Deuteronomy 32, Moses says of them, you were unmindful of the rock who bore you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. It's, it's really amazing that I'm here after 35 years, and it's amazing that this man and this leadership says, we want this guy to come back. Because that was a long time ago. And you know a lot of, well, not a lot, most Americans, it's what you've done for me lately. And they just totally forget. And I think God is going to bless you all uh, for this. And, and the more you have me, the more blessed you'll be. <laughs> Boy, I can just cease. Oh, it's a blessing. It's amazing. Shameless self-promotion. Judges 3. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Why? They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherah. Psalm 106. They forgot God their Savior who had done great things. Listen, if somebody saves your life, you got to remember that the rest of your life. You know? The tragedies of Alzheimer's disease. I think many of us have probably been touched by this disease. Uh, when it afflicts someone, it slowly takes their memory. And in its advanced stages, a person cannot remember a beloved spouse, a beloved child. The people nearest them become strangers. When we forget God's works in Scripture, especially in Scripture, we can become strangers to the things and the people that we ought to love and that we ought to keep near. All right, let's move on to personal memorials. These are the events in your own history that mark God's works, callings, and claims on your life. Like Abram and Jacob, you have had things happen to you. God has revealed himself to you in personal ways. God has intervened in your life. It could be he saved you from a near-death experience. Um, You know, I mentioned I've been saved from five near-death experiences in my life. I won't go into all of them. But... um, uh, the last one occurred uh, about a year ago, 
and uh, where my heart developed this nasty habit of stopping. And uh, you don't last a long time, you know, when that happens. Uh, you got two lungs, you got two hands, you got a lot of different things, but you only have one heart. And God used uh, a number of doctors uh, and blessed them. And I had two operations, and I'm working out now. Uh, wow. Within six months, I'm back. You know, I'll be back at my fighting weight. Thank God. We remember these because you think, well, God must have something else for me to do. I wouldn't be here. This pulpit would be empty. You'd have a black screen with my little face on the front of it with in memorial, you know, 1951, 2016. But here I am. Extraordinary blessings. Extraordinary blessings. Extraordinary passages that God speaks to your heart. Mark those moments and hang on to them. The most important one is your saving grace. That moment you came to realize the depth of your sin, the depth of Christ's love, and that he not only was forgiving others of their sin, but forgiving you of your sins. That's your greatest personal memorial. You know, some people try to forget where they come from and they try to forget how fallen they were. I mentioned this earlier. Um, We had a president, a former president, and while he was running for president, he was grilled about whether he had ever done drugs or not. You know, that's one of the questions I always get. And he said that he had done some drugs in uh, college, but he had experimented with them, but he had not inhaled. And uh, while I was living so badly... Uh, before I came to the Lord, I, I really inhaled. Uh, you know, I mean, deeply. You know, I mean, so I was living bad, and that's just the, that's just one aspect of it. But uh, we were so bad. My brother and I were talking once about how. We were so bad, we were living so badly that any woman who would want to marry us, we would not want to marry them because there would be something psychologically wrong there. And so, now, to defend my wife, I had been clothed and in my right mind. (laughs) I'd been clothed and in my right mind for at least a year before she... She had had a battery of you guys checking me out, you know. They were, they were giving updates. And the only reason I got on her draft board was uh, that I was called to the ministry. Isn't that something? You know, a lot of women say, I don't want to be around a guy like that. He's never going to make any money. And uh, that was prophetic in her case, by the way. <laughs> I've never had the gift of making uh, money. And, uh, but uh, anyway... Um, but I was I was cleaned up and through that through a wonderful ministry uh, back then called Maranatha and they had they saved me they they helped me and they brought me back to the Lord and when I got blessed with my engagement with Debbie it was the greatest blessing up to that time in my life and it's still the greatest blessing after salvation and by the way we've been married forty years this year and, uh, yeah. I'm thinking it's going to work out really I. I really think it's going to last. Um, anyway, um, but I was thinking about this engagement 
I got back to my devotion the first morning after we'd been engaged, and I, I was overwhelmed with God's blessing, and I prayed this prayer. Uh, Father, never let me forget where I came from. And I remember that so well. And listen, the greatest glory that I have, the greatest glory that I have is I have a Savior named Jesus Christ. Personal memorial. So we've seen biblical and personal. Let's look at God's eternal memorial. And we've got to move that quickly. All memorials point to one permanent, lasting, eternal memorial. Presently, it can only be seen with the eye of faith. What it isn't, it might be helpful to know what it's not. It's not an altar, a heap of stones. It's not a great structure. It's not a temple or a tower, although it You could argue that it's kind of a temple. It's not even the wonders of heaven. It's not the streets of gold. It's not the sea of glass. It's not a ceremony. It's not a place or a thing of any kind. It's located in a temple, but it's an unusual temple. Peter wrote about this temple, and he said, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. God gave us temples in the Old Testament, kinds of memorials as well, And he would fill those temples. But this temple is different. It's made up of all those who are redeemed by Jesus Christ. And uh, there's a promise in Revelation. uh, um, John, and when when our Lord was speaking to the church that was located in uh, the Greek city of Philadelphia, he said, the one who conquers, I will make him or her a pillar in the temple of my God. You see, this temple is made up of people, and here we see a person can be a pillar. But what is God's eternal memorial? It's in this temple. What is it? If you haven't guessed by now, it's a person. But it's no, extra, it's no ordinary person. It's the most extraordinary person in history. He is truly human, truly God. He's no ordinary man. Classic... Uh, Theological language. He is the eternal Son of God, took to himself a truly human body and truly human soul without setting aside his deity. Isn't that a beauty? Beautiful. We don't know how God did that, but if but he's God, right? Uh, my brother used to say the problem with God is he thinks he's God. <laughs> and he is. And um As with any memorial, there are inscriptions on this memorial. You know, you you go to the link and you read, and you learn the meaning of the memorial. Well, when you look at the inscriptions on this memorial, you understand the meaning immediately. We have Thomas to thank for this knowledge. Thomas was not with the first group who had seen the risen Lord, and he didn't believe it. He said, unless I see those scars on his hands and on his feet, I will not believe. Eight days later, our Lord appears to him. And he walks over to him and he says, Thomas. Here's the thing. In the resurrection, you and I, all of us, the redeemed people of God, will be resurrected with perfect, pristine bodies. But there will be one, God's eternal memorial, who has inscriptions, who has scars. I'm invited to England to speak to a group of former drug addicts. It's amazing. It's a ministry called Battelle. Usually there's about 500. They worship 
madly. I mean, like you all on your best day with caffeine and your 40th anniversary, maybe. I mean, you're really wired. They're amazing. And uh, there's a young lady that I met on one of our trips recently, and she's a wonderful girl, beautiful. And you met her, you would think just a beautiful young lady who loves the Lord until she rolls up her sleeves or wears a dress without a sleeve and you see the scar tissue, not scars, but layer upon layer of scar tissue from her wrist all the way up on both arms. And when you see those scars, you don't need to be told that she was raised in one of the worst abusive homes or situations that a person could be raised in. And she self-harmed and cut herself over and over as a little girl. Zechariah saw a future time when Israel recognizes God's memorial in it. And he wrote this, When they look on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. Friends, when we're in eternity, the eternal kingdom, more than words could ever convey, whenever we look at him, God's eternal memorial, and see those scars, those inscriptions on his head, his hands, his feet, his side, and back, we'll be moved beyond human emotion. I want to finish with God's ultimate purpose. Why does God allow his son to be crucified on a cruel cross? Why does he even want to forgive us? There's a couple of helpful passages. First from Hebrews chapter 12. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. I kind of like to, I'm not sure if I exegete it properly, but I kind of like to, to exegete that despising the shame like he, he basically defied it and just said, that's fine, I'm taking it. It wasn't that he was going, oh, this shame is so terrible. He said, I'll endure it. I'll do it. What was the joy set before him? He was the owner of everything. Colossians says he owns everything. Everything was created for him through him before the cross. Um, He had fellowship with the Father. Have you ever heard somebody say that God created mankind because he was lonely? That's very, very bad theology. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit adore one another, and they have perfect community. And the only reason that they want to uh, uh, create us is to share it. It's not coming out of weakness. It's not coming out of a need. (laughs) They love some, so one another so much that they want to do for one another constantly. And so um, we get an understanding of what that joy was in Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. He's praying this, and listen. I do not ask for these only. He's praying to the Father in front of the, the apostles. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. We, every one of us here today have believed through their word that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Some people use this scripture as a, a unity verse for unity in the church, and I don't have a problem with that, but that's not the ultimate uh, takeaway here. Here it is, guys. The joy set before the Lord. Jesus. God's plan was to bring a redeemed people who had consciousness, understanding, who understood what had happened, understood their sin, understood his sacrifice, 
bring them not just into heaven, not just into an eternal kingdom, but into, and I just, I just have a hard time when I try to say this, into the very circle of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In it. That's what happens when you take a bride. When a son takes a bride, he brings her into his family and she becomes part of the family. He's saying, as my many-membered bride, you're going to become one with us. Why does he want us to be unselfish? Because that's who they are. It's not so we can get a merit badge and, you know, just, and get another reward. Well, the rewards are great. I'm sure there's going to be rewards in heaven. I mean, we're taught that. But the reward is him. To be with the Father, Son, and Spirit. Have them in you and you in them. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yes. I once, you know, we, uh, we, we get enthusiastic on Capitol Hill every now and then, and they would wave hankies. You know, not, not the white folks, but... The... <laughs> They're all sitting there going, oh, gee, that's a great sermon, Mark. Uh, Preach it. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. But uh, I can't remember. Beverly, remember Beverly Cooper, you know? Where's Beverly? Is she here? Waving that hanky like that. And, and for one moment, one moment, that, that wonderful spirit came on me. You remember this? I pre- and I started preaching with rhythm. And I... We had a piano over here below the stage, about almost even with the stage, a little bit higher. I ran across the stage. I jumped on the piano, <laughs> preaching. I really enjoyed it, but it was a momentary gift. <laughs> and then it lifted. It was like tongues, a specific tongue. Uh, we had some experiences back then. I preached on Bi- uh, Babylon once, and I made the mistake of imitating what it must have been like when all of a sudden they're all working, you know, and their languages go different. And we all laughed so hard that I couldn't really finish the message. We were all in tears. It was ridiculous. It was one of the greatest moments. <sighs> he brings us into his circle. This explains Jesus' prayer in the garden. And I'm... I'm going to recount that. He was on his knees with sweat mixed with blood running down his face. Peter, James, and John are nearby watching this. And that's why we have it. And he has this conversation, partly spoken, partly unspoken, with the Father. The Son says to the Father, Father, is there another way? The Father, unspoken to the Son, If you want them, there is no other way. The son, unspoken, I want them. I want them. And so from that prayer, the son got up and went willingly. And after being beaten and scourged nearly beyond recognition, he took hold of that crude, splintered, bloody Roman cross He drug it up the hill called the hill of the skull to take on the sins of the world 
and to buy you and me. And because of that, forever, whenever we look on him, God's eternal memorial, when we see those scars, we will lift off whatever crown is on our head and joyfully fling it at his feet. And then with all of heaven, join in singing with a loud voice. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Amen. 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 Let's pray.